0: If you have your copy of God's Word with you this morning, I invite you to turn with me to the Gospel of John, John's Gospel, chapter 6, as we finish up this scene that we have been in for some time. As you are doing so, I just want to say I hope you were able to make it last week to Main Street's Missions Conference. Uh, I found it to be an absolute delight, a very full weekend, but a delightful weekend. Uh, Pastor Joe Johnson did a fantastic job, as did all of our missionaries um, and our helpers, our volunteers here at church. Um, I was particularly encouraged by his preaching from Acts chapter 1, on the beauty and the messiness of the gospel. Uh, I will say if you did, for whatever reason, miss the conference, all of those services have been recorded and you can find them on our YouTube page. Uh, Go there, there's a missions playlist and I would highly encourage you uh, to take a look and spend some time there. Now, that being said, we are returning to our familiar friend, uh, the Gospel of John, after uh, a couple of Sundays off. We find ourselves at the end of John chapter 6. For the entirety of this chapter, Jesus has been interacting with a particular crowd of people. Uh, This crowd of people have been following Him, really following Him, ever since He fed uh, the 5,000, and really before that, they were on the other side as He He was performing miracles in uh, Jerusalem. Uh, But they've been following him, and Jesus has been interacting with them, ministering to them, preaching to them. And last time, uh, the section just before this, Jesus says, you really need to believe in me to have eternal life. And you need to go so far as to eat of my blood and drink of, or drink, eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. And that's a very dramatic statement by Jesus, but what he's really saying is, you have to take in all of me. In order to believe, in order to have eternal life, you have to take in me and all of me in its entirety. There's no partial Christianity. There's no partial credit. We're not grading on the curve. You believe or you don't. And then we saw the Jews, and I'll talk about that group of people here in in just a moment, um, reject that. But this week, this morning, we're going to see a couple other groups that are going to come to some conclusions based on that conversation. Some will see it with skepticism and, and some will be confused and others will be drawn to faith because of it. All of this is taking place as Jesus continues to minister and present himself as the way to eternal life. Would you please follow along with me as we hear these words, these very important words this morning Um, in John chapter 6. I'll begin in verse 60 and conclude the chapter. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying, who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Excuse me. So Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, did I not choose you, the 12 And yet, one of you is a devil. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. This is the word of the Lord. Would you please bow with me as we go to him in prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, many who hear your word turn and walk away, discouraged, confused, enraged and disbelief father we know in and through your word that the only reason any of us believe is because you grant belief and so I ask this morning Lord in this time by the power of your Holy Spirit would you give eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to receive the good news of the gospel if you will it it will be done we pray that your will be done We pray that you be glorified and we, your people, be blessed this day. We pray this in the name of the precious Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. In the ninth grade, I, along with my fellow classmates, were required to memorize a poem. This poem has become one that is dear to me. And to this day, many years later, for the most part, I can give it from memory. I'm not this morning. I'm going to read it. But this poem by author Robert Frost has great bearing or gives great understanding to our text today. It goes like this. Two roads diverged in a yellow wood, and sorry, I could not travel both. And be one traveler, long I stood and looked down one as far as I could to where it bent in the undergrowth, then took the other as just as fair and having perhaps the better claim because it was grassy and wanted wear, though as for that the passing there had warned them about the same." And both that morning equally lay and leaves no step had trodden black. Oh, I kept the first for another day. Yet knowing how way leads on to way, I doubt if I should ever come back. I shall be telling this with a sigh somewhere ages and ages hence. Two roads diverged in a wood and I, I took the one less traveled by and that has made all of the difference. You see, Robert Frost in this wonderful poem faced a different, a diverging path. I can go this way or I can go that way. And as I look and consider my options, as I think about my choices, as I see what's before me and try to make an intelligent, informed decision, one way looks great. It is green and grassy and the sun is shining upon it and and it looks clean, worn with foot traffic and it looks to be the ideal path. It looks to be the way to go. But as I reflect and ponder upon this, I realize for myself, I need to take the road less traveled because it is less traveled. It is the road less taken. It is the road not worn down. It is the road that may not seem to end in the best conclusion, but I'm going to follow that path. I feel convicted and compelled to do so. And he says at the conclusion, that made all of the difference. Well, friends, What we are faced with any time we come to the scriptures, any time we come in contact with the words of our Lord, we are coming in contact with diverging paths. Robert Frost's poem comes to mind because we can go this way or that today. We can go down the worn path, the easy road, the sun is shining, the grass is green, the path is wide and it is clear. The Lord says something about that path. Wide is the path that leads to destruction, but narrow is the path that leads to heaven. And so anytime we approach the scriptures, we must make that choice. Will we follow the words of the Lord or will we take the path of comfort and of ease? What we see this morning is the crowd that has been with Jesus for some time now was faced with that path, two diverging paths. And we see that for many of them, they walk away down the path of ease, of comfort, And yet there are a few that remain to walk the difficult road. And I want us to think about that this morning as we are at a fork in the road. We have heard the word of God. Now we must make a choice. And so I want us to consider this morning from our text that the words of Jesus will seem foolish to those without understanding. We don't need to make an unintelligent choice. We need to make our decisions wisely. And so we're going to look at verses 60 to 65 to see the foolishness of Jesus apart from the power of the Holy Spirit. And then secondly, I want us to think about as we stand at that crossroad, I want us to choose, are we going to follow Jesus or are we gonna seek worldly wisdom? Are we gonna go down the easy path or are we gonna go down the path that the Lord has laid out? We'll see that in 66 to 71. So let's consider Each of these, first the foolishness of the words of Jesus without understanding. And as often as the case, we need to take just a moment and define some people. There are many names being thrown around in our text, and and maybe you've been confused as you were listening through it. Um, I hope to shed some light on that. The first group we need to talk about this morning is the large group, the the big group. They are called in chapter 6, the crowd. This is the group that has been following Jesus uh, for some time now. They were referenced at the beginning of this chapter. They encompass all who have been around him, near him, with him. Some of them believe to some level. Some of them are skeptical. Some of them are there to to see what's going to happen next. Some of them are antagonistic, and they're just there to to cause problems. But that's the crowd. So when John chapter 6 talks about the crowd, we mean everyone. Okay? We see that in verses 15, verse 22. But there's also another group of people. In, In verse 41... So within the crowd, we have some subgroups here. Verse 41, John chapter 6, the Jews grumbled about him. Now, Jesus is not saying there the people group, the Jews all are grumbling about me. In John's gospel, this phrase, the Jews, is used to define those particularly antagonistic to Jesus. Um, we could see them um, elsewhere. This could be, um, we don't know for certain, but it could be some of the Jewish elite, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, the, the professional class of people within the Jewish culture. They're there to complain. They're there to mock Jesus, to hopefully catch him in a lie. And these are going to be the chief people that, that, that desire and bring the effort to bring him down. And so within the crowd, you've got the Jews, Now, there is an opposite to them, though. And we see this group in our text today. This group, really the opposite of the Jews in our text is titled the disciples. You you heard me uh, mention them at at the beginning um, when many of his disciples heard it. And then again in verse 66, after this, many of his disciples turned back. Now if the Jews are the ones that are antagonistic, the disciples are the ones there either to see what would happen, so they're the ones chasing miracles, or they are interested in what he's saying. This guy could be him. This could be the Messiah, the one we're looking for. This could be the guy that's going to bring back the glory of Israel. And it's important that we understand that this is the disciples and not the disciples referring to the 12 because later in um, John chapter 6, they were referred to as the 12, Jesus in 67. Jesus said to the 12. So you've got the disciples and then even more narrowly, you've got the 12. His apostles But they're not the same group of people. And so in 60, when this passage begins and some of the disciples are complaining, this is a larger subsection of the crowd. And they're grumbling, they're complaining, they're they're questioning. In fact, they, they say, this is a hard saying, who can listen to it? I couldn't imagine approaching one of my teachers in a, in a classroom setting, especially in seminary, and going, Hey, professor, that was a bit difficult. Why did you say it? I don't believe it. I can't hear it. Or to quote them, Who can listen to your teaching right now? Maybe it's my personality. I would never do that, even if they were wrong. It's just that's me. Um, and maybe that's a character flaw. But this group, the fo- people that have been following him, wanting something out of him, goes, What are you doing? This is crazy. And I love Jesus. I love his wisdom, his understanding. He tells us, he's not surprised, is he? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, responds to them. Jesus knows they're complaining. Now the Jews, if you remember, they were complaining to his face. At least they were, were grumbling right in front of him. Here, we see that Jesus is discerning, he knows internally um, by his godly power and ability and knowledge that they are complaining. And so he offers a, not really a rebuke, but but really a response to their complaining. Do you take offense at this? Does this bother you? I love what Jesus does here. If this bothers you, you really ought to see what I'm going to do later. You see how he does that? He says, if you have problems now, wait till the son of man goes back to heaven where he came from. You kind of have to read what he's saying, but that's really what he's getting at. If you don't get me now, you're really going to not like it when I ascend to heaven after the resurrection. And that in lies the, the mastery of Jesus and of his teaching. He understands in this group of people with this crowd, they don't get the simple truths. Trust in me for the forgiveness of your sins and you will be saved. What has he said to Nicodemus? What has he said to the woman at the well? Um, What has he said over and over and over again in John's gospel? I am the way to life. I am the bread of life. I offer water that you will drink of and never thirst again. Trust in me, believe in me, hope in me, rest in me. That's really not that hard. I I love being Presbyterian. And I love it for a multitude of reasons. But one of the reasons I love it most, I currently have one child in the nursery and one child in the step up from nursery at our church. And guess what? They're hearing this on a weekly basis regular basis my children our children the children of our church are hearing these truths and it is not unusual for them to say i believe but a group of educated learned people following jesus christ hearing it firsthand witnessing it firsthand goes this is too hard for me do you see the foolishness do you see how ridiculous that comes across we, we know through evidence that, that, our, that the young from the youngest we have can hear these truths and believe. And yet this crowd, the disciples, say, this is hard. This is too hard, Jesus. Can you give me something easier? And Jesus in his wisdom says, this is about as easy as it gets. If you don't understand this, what I'm going to be doing from here forward is really going to throw you off. Do you really take offense at this? He then goes on to say, It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are Spirit and life. There are some of you who do not believe. Why don't they believe? Because God has not granted them eyes to see and ears to hear, God has not granted them His Spirit. They cannot and they will not believe unless God grants them the ability to believe. That's what he's saying here. Without the Spirit, there is no understanding. The Spirit gives life. The flesh is no help. Our worldly wisdom cannot get us there. We, we cannot argue, reason, rationale our way to God. We have to have the Holy Spirit. And so, of course, the words of Jesus sound foolish. Uh, Of course, they're not provoked to faith. And even we admit this morning, this is kind of hard, right? We we confess. Jesus, these are hard words, and, and even some of us are coming to it from a state of belief. And Jesus knows this. He, this again shows this mastery of his teaching and, and shows the, the level of compassion he has. We get, a, we get the mind of Jesus. John, the gospel writer, by the power of the Holy Spirit, writes the words of the thoughts of Jesus Christ. Look at 64 and 65. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said... This is why I told you, no one can come to me unless it is granted by the Father. Now, this is extremely important. You remember a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about uh, from John chapter 6, it is the God's sovereign will to save those whom Jesus has been granted by the Father. There are those who are elect. There are a select people that God has granted for salvation but let me ask you a question this is, so, this is so important so helpful Jesus who this text says knows who that list is right Jesus has the list of those who will be saved did he when he's talking to the crowd or the disciples or the Jews or the apostles go okay guys I need two groups here you 17 you go over there and I'm gonna go talk to this 24 over here first because they're gonna believe me when I teach them And then I'll get to y'all in a minute. I'll say something to you, but it doesn't matter because you're not going to believe. No. The one person who ever lived who knew who the elect are preaches indiscriminately. Do you see that here? This 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 is remarkable. I can do you one better. The text says, Jesus Christ knows the one who will betray him. And yet, for three years, he shows the same level of love, of care, of compassion, and teaching to Judas Iscariot that he does Peter, James, and John. Now, for him, it was foolishness. For him, it was foolishness. It was not for him to understand But that is beside the point, for Jesus had compassion and love for him like he did the rest. So, what do we conclude from this? Let me make two points really quick before we move to our second point. First, we as Christians are called to share the gospel and let God do with it what he will, period. Period. We're not called to be discerning. We're, we're not called, well, we're called to be discerning, but we're not called to make the judgment call. You know, last week was our missions conference and we heard from many of our missionaries. It would be very, very depressing. I don't know how anyone would do it if we, we told our missionaries who were going to the Ukraine, now I want you to go to the Ukraine and only minister to the people who you think will respond positively to your ministry. It's not what we tell our missionaries. It's not what we should be doing here in our churches in the States. We are called to sow the seed and let the Lord grow it. But two, we are to be honest with ourselves when we preach and we proclaim and the person doesn't respond, that's not a failure on your teaching. I don't know about you, but I'm one prone to discouragement. I fight it all the time, it's one of my greater weaknesses. And if I make an argument for someone or I'm meeting with someone and I'm talking to them about Jesus Christ and they look at me with a dead look in their eyes and they walk away confused for years and years and years, I've said I failed. That couldn't be further from the truth. If I in faith and accurately and honestly and sincerely have shared the truth of the gospel, what happens past that is God's to deal with, not mine. And I cannot let it be seen as a failure. And so I just want to encourage you this morning, if you as a Christian have shared the gospel with family members or coworkers or neighbors and friends, and they've turned you down and turned you down and turned you down and turned you down, don't look at that as if I'm doing something wrong. Say to yourself, God's not done with me and God's not done with them. And understand, the Scriptures tell us because their mind, in their mind, this is all foolishness. They cannot understand until the, until the Holy Spirit gives them understanding. And just trust that in His timing, He will. But that leads us into our, our second point here. We really do, or are called to make that choice. Are we going to believe? Are we going to follow Him? Are we going to listen to the world? Or are we going to listen to Christ. And verse 66 tells us the conclusion, at least at this moment, to the group Jesus is speaking to. After this, many of his disciples, broader group, not the 12, turned back and no longer walked with him. So you've got this group of people that have been with him for some time, chasing him for miracles, and he preaches this that he's preached. Probably it's the line about eating his body and drinking his blood that they kind of said, okay, we're good, we're done. You have no idea what you're talking about. You're crazy. And they turn around and they walk away. And I have this picture in my mind of this scene. I, I have in my mind, you know, Jesus is bombarded by people all the time. He's always around a crowd. And the, 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 the disciples disperse. And Jesus looks up and then there's the 12. Right? I, I have this in my head and I could be wrong in this where it's just the crowd parted and now there's the 12. And Jesus is left looking at them and he's going... He says to them, well, what are y'all going to do? Where are are you leaving to? Or as he says it, do you want to go as well? He gives them the choice. He gives them the option. Do you want out? Now's your out. He's saying this, and here's another interesting point, not to belabor what I said earlier. He's saying this also to Judas. Here's his chance. He wants out. He can get out do you want to go? It's not like Jesus is saying, please don't, whoa, stop. It's it's not like Willy Wonka uh, in in the movies um, where he half-heartedly, no, stop, don't go, please, as he watches them so his Oompa Loompas can start singing. He asks an honest question. Do you want to be here? And bless him, bless him. Most of the time Peter's name shows up, we should think, "Uh uh-oh. But (laughs) here he represents the 12. He speaks on behalf of the group Lord, where should we go? Where else is there? Why would we leave? You have the words of eternal life and we have believed and come to know you are the Holy One of God. Bless Peter for this proclamation. Now, again, let's be honest. Do the eleven? truly understand Jesus Christ is the Son of God, what he came to do, why he came to do it, and how it affects them at this point. No! We are told in the Gospels, it's not till after the resurrection, when Jesus opens the Scriptures, by the way, it would have been the Old Testament, the New had not been written yet, and reveals himself that they believe. It would not be until he pours out the Holy Spirit upon them that they go, oh, that's what's been happening this whole time. But even so, at this point, what are they saying? Jesus, you teach like no one else, and what you're saying is true. You were sent by God to deliver a message, and we believe that message. They're not quite ready to say we believe you. But they're saying, we believe what you're saying. Why would we go anywhere else? I'm so encouraged by the 11. Well, by the 12, I mean, at this point, Judas is staying too. For their willingness to say, I, you know, really, what are they admitting here? We don't get it either. <laughs> we have no idea what you meant about eating your body and drinking of your blood. We don't know what you mean about being the bread of life. We, we have, we're not really clear on any of this, if we're honest. But we believe in what you're saying. We believe in your sincerity. And we believe you really were sent by God. And we're going to stay and see this thing through. I love the humanity of the disciples presented to us. And then Jesus, <laughs> he is a master teacher, far, far better than any of us will ever be. He really concludes this thing on an odd note. I mean, we have this powerful, intense moment where Peter's declaring, you are right. And then Jesus looks to them and goes, didn't I choose you guys? Jesus answered them, did I not choose you, the 12, and yet one of you is a devil? He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the 12, was going to betray him. Do you see the contrast there? Peter says, we will not go anywhere else. We must follow you. One commentator says, Peter's words is a positive and willing recognition that Jesus, as the agent of God, has the authority and power to bestow eternal life on those who believe. You're telling the words to salvation and to eternal life, Jesus. And then Jesus looks at him and says, I picked you guys, right? Right? How is that a fitting conclusion? How is that a fitting end to the passage? Well, actually, it's perfect because it's Jesus. Because what is Jesus saying in conclusion or in response to Peter's words? Peter is saying, Jesus, we choose you, and Jesus is saying, ah, uh-uh-uh, I chose you first. Before we got to this moment where you made this conclusion, I called you to come follow me. Before I called you to follow me, I ordained that you would be born into the family that you were born into. I foreordained the the lineage, the, the legacy that you would have, the family history, the background to get you here. Peter, the other 11... Us today, you need to know it is I who chose you first and it is by my will and my authority and my design that you stand before me today. Says the Lord, not, not Aaron. That was quotes. And so as much as I love Robert Frost's poem, As much as I love that idea, that mindset, that we are at a crossroads, that we are faced with a choice, that we are faced with options, will I follow Jesus or will I turn from him and walk away from him? That's not really the choice we have to make. The choice is, will I walk the road the Lord has laid before me? Will I walk the road that is ahead of me? Will I walk the road that he has placed me on? Will I do so faithfully, trusting in him, trusting in his path, his wisdom, his guidance? Or will I trust in myself, my own wisdom, my own guidance? I want to conclude this morning, again, as much as I love Robert Frost, and I've not looked into it enough to know his spiritual life, um, and so he, he could be speaking from a point of faith. I want to point you to a different poem's not the right word. It's a song. Take your, take your hymnal real quick. Turn, turn to hymn 108. "Whate'er my God ordains is right. Look at this first verse with me. Whate'er my God ordains is right, His holy will abideth. I will be still whate'er He doth, and follow where He guideth. He is my God, though dark my road, he holds me that I shall not fall. Wherefore to him I leave it all. And then verse two, "Whate'er my God ordains is right, he never will deceive me. He leads me by the proper path. I know he will not leave me. I take content what he has sent. His hand can turn my griefs away, and patiently I wait his day. It's not a shall I go this way or that? The real question is do we believe the words of our songwriter? Is the Lord right? Is the Lord good? Does the Lord guide us carefully, wisely down the path we need to go down so that we might glorify Him, trust in Him, rest in Him? It was God's ordained will that these disciples would walk away. It was God's ordained will that the twelve would stay. It was God's ordained will that we would hear these words this morning, that we might reflect upon and consider, will I believe follow, and listen to Jesus, or will I walk away? Would you please bow with me? Dear Heavenly Father, if, if I am honest, Lord, I, I think that one of the reasons it's often hard to say, yes, I will follow Jesus, is that when we look down the road, it looks dark and scary. It, it, it looks like there are twists and turns and dangers before us. And we let our eyes and our ears and our senses and our rationality tell us that, that it may not be safe to follow him. And that's true. It's not always safe to follow Jesus. It, it, it could lead to harm. It could lead to our death, as many missionaries understood, and as many missionaries found a reality. But Lord, as we're learning in Sunday school, what does it mean to die as the Christian? It means to live with God. At the very moment of our death, before our body hits the ground or the floor, we will be in the presence of our Savior. Far better it is to trust Jesus through dark and stormy paths than to walk the bright, sunshiny way of the world that leads to eternal damnation. Father, I thank you for the words of eternal life given by Jesus Christ, bought by Jesus Christ. Father, I thank you for the words of eternal life, which are Jesus Christ. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I pray for all of us here this morning, from the youngest to the oldest, those in the nursery, and those that are watching online, that they would trust in you. And no matter what the path lays before them, they would walk knowing their God, cares for them, and loves them, Might they invite others to walk that path too, that we might be the vessel, the catalyst with which you use to bring them to faith, not because of us, but by our connection to you. Lord, we thank you for this day, and we thank you for your word. In Christ's name we pray, amen.